Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced at the studios of 3CR and Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian McIntyre. Today's program looks at the musical legacy of Earth First and the role of song in the movement's activism during the 1980s and early 1990s. Sayonara to suburbia and well-manicured lawns Bye-bye Barbie and Kendall Ponds No more developers or slimeball execs Your condos are on fire Earth First is a radical environmental network that first emerged in the United States in 1980. Its founding came in response to the pro-development policies of the Reagan government, then driven by the hated Minister for the Interior, James Watt. Earth First's non-hierarchical organising style and direct action tactics were also a rejection of the culture and unambitious goals of mainstream environmental organisations of the time. In emphasising the premise that all life on Earth has an intrinsic value and that human behaviour should and must change drastically, Earth First popularised concepts such as biocentrism and deep ecology. In line with this, its members adopted a no-compromise position, which called for a complete end to logging, mining and the development of old-growth forests and other biodiverse places, as well as the restoration of damaged ecosystems. Within its first 10 years, Earth First had grown to include around 100 groups in the US. By 1990, these alongside overseas chapters were carrying out local and national campaigns, and the network remains active today. Earth First quickly gained national and international notoriety due to its combative attitude towards opponents and its commitment to direct action. Since the 1980s, the network has defended hundreds of forests, rivers and other sites across the US and provided solidarity with fellow chapters and communities around the world. As a key part of its culture... Earth First members and associated musicians played hundreds of concerts and released dozens of recordings from 1980 to the mid-1990s. Both of these formed a key part of fundraising and outreach activities. As activists Michael Jacobel and Valerie Wade recall. There were a lot of folk musicians who are still activist folk musicians, you know, have made a career out of it, who really got their, either got their start or they kind of launched, Earth First was a launching pad back then. You know, they were not super well-known, but, you know, immediately, you know, were really good at at coming up with catchy protest songs and immediately had a big audience, you know, and people that would travel around and share their music. I mean, I think of people like Dana Lyons and Casey Neal and uh, Robert Hoyt, Danny Dollinger, and Alice D. Michelli. She got her start really as a kind of Earth-first campfire musician. They were very fun, inspiring songs, and some of them, you know, some of them, like, yeah, Dancing on the Ruins and Multinational Corporations, of course, you know, is obvious, obvious sort of keeps with the, kept with the, you know, the the anti-corporate primitivist, you know, activist theme, the, you know, that Earth First is kind of central to Earth First. These songs, whether they were specifically environmental or activist or not, or not I think had kind of a, um, it's had a bonding and inspiring effect on everybody. That was always integral 
to certainly to rendezvous because it, it makes it more fun and it's a great way to communicate a message that's non-threatening. But in an action, it, it can be very uh, cohesive. It can and keep people focused and calm. So it's not just fun, but, but useful that way. The music was typically telling you a story. If you listen to the words, you would learn about uh, the light train or... No, redwoods, so you could listen and hear the stories and learn, and that was that was a great way to communicate. So mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, look at Dana Lyons. Dude is still singing. He is still bringing awareness to things like coal trains, and I just admire that a lot. Several weeks later, with nobody around, Minnesota wind Blew tower after tower after tower Down with a turn of the wrench And a twist of the screw What was once put together Bart Kohler was a founding member of Earth First, whose stage name, Johnny Sagebrush, was adopted to lampoon both Johnny Horizon, the mascot of the Bureau of Land Management, and the Sagebrush Rebellion. The latter was a political campaign by 13 Western states who sought to enable ranchers, extractive industries and others to access and exploit publicly owned and federally controlled land in the 1980s. Johnny Sagebrush took part in Earth First's first roadshows, which would see campaigners and leading members regularly tour the US, visiting up to 40 towns and cities at a time. Eschewing the typical lecture or public meeting format, these were highly theatrical events, combining music, speeches and humour to found chapters and build campaigns. Kohler also played at the network's early Round River rendezvous. Rather than holding an annual conference or convention, Earth First instead brought members from around the country together to camp, strategize, swap tactics, and generally make merry. Whilst there was a lot of partying, these events also provided opportunity for direct action, as recalled by Kohler and Wade. We basically took the name from uh, Aldo Leopold's uh, essays from Round River, the, you know, the basic cycle of life, the river that flows into itself, the web of life, and and decided we needed to have a, a, a gathering every year. We'd start out pretty humbly uh, in Arches National Park, the first one, and then things built. I think for me, uh, I was only at uh, a few of them, but I will claim the the person that came up with the, the name and obviously helped uh, provide the musical entertainment. And we, had, we would have several different... Uh, musical groups, and especially, uh, you know, Johnny Sagebrush and the Wild Goose Band and, and other local uh, musicians. The most memorable one for me was uh, 1982, outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where the Getty Oil was hell-bent to uh, drill for oil and gas inside a proposed wilderness area. And we were going to blockade the, uh, the the road access and, and had a... We, we, went out and got the permits for the, the rally and all. I had a couple hundred people show up and got a lot of good press and 
Edward Abbey was there and a, a host of other luminaries in the conservation world. At the same time, I was uh, working behind the scenes trying to stop this uh, oil rig from going in and filed an administrative appeal, uh, actually written on the back of a bar napkin <laughs> at the Cowboy Bar in Jackson. So all this was going on, but we had it. It was, it was a really good culminating of, of people and purpose and fun and humor. And we had, uh, you know, we made Jim Watt the honorary chairman of uh, the uh, Earth First uh, membership committee because he, we had sold so many T-shirts and, and uh, bumper stickers and such. And, and so we had a Jim Watt impersonator there. It was all... Who, who got attacked by a, a person in a grizzly bear suit tackled Jim Watt <laughs> So you can imagine that this went on all day and all night. But we did a, a, a blockade across the road, more a um, symbolic blockade. We, we never really had to camp out or anything because there was kind of a dramatic uh, action that took place sometime overnight where, where some people... Uh, went in and pulled a whole bunch of survey sticks and cost the Getty Oil a huge amount of uh, money to pay to get resurveyed. Yeah, there were a lot of survey stakes missing after that. I've always uh, been told that ravens really like survey stakes. The upshot of all that was that I filed my uh, appeal, and a friend of mine who worked for the governor filed an administrative appeal protesting the access for this uh, oil rig. And then the next thing you know, um, the courts actually stopped it, stopped the access road. And then two years later, the, the area surrounding the, where the oil rig was going to go in, known as the Grovant Wilderness, um, actually became a designated wilderness in 1984. So two years after the blockade, we had uh, the area permanently protected. Those were great fun, great chance to decompress, play, and strategize. They were in beautiful places amongst like-minded people. A lot of fun. I don't know if we did it typically, but one of them I remember after one of the main rendezvous uh, was the uranium mining action. So that was a really good place to say, okay, we got some people and we have this situation. All right, what can we do? So those those protests grew out of a rendezvous. Enslaved by a way of life, propped up by lies. But some of us have come see things through different eyes. Tomorrow there'll be more of us than there are today. We're that ragged, jagged, cutting edge, and we all say, It's quit time, it's quit time, it's quit time on that high tech time on that old high-tech plantation. It's quitting time for good. It's quitting time. It's quitting time. It's quitting time on that high-tech plantation. It's quitting time. It's quitting time on that old high-tech plantation. It's quitting time for good. In 1981, Kohler's Little Green Songbook was first distributed to help audiences sing along with his compositions. 
and then in 1986 it was expanded to include songs written by other Earth First musicians. In keeping with radical folk traditions, Kohler and many other Earth First singers set their lyrics to traditional religious and popular songs. Examples from Kohler included Amazing Waste, to the tune of Amazing Grace, They'll Be Tearing Down the Mountain, After She'll Be Coming Round the Mountain, Justifiable Riverside, based on Down by the Riverside, and It's Time to Fight, After I Saw the Light. Religious themes and songs would also be drawn upon and parodied by other Earth First musicians, most notably in Daryl Cherney's This Monkey Wrench of Mine, based on This Little Light of Mine, and You Can't Clear Cut Your Way to Heaven. Such humour was considered integral to the movement and its messages, as Kohler recalls. I think it was more a, a reflection of the people involved. None, none of us took ourselves very seriously. That's always a, a serious danger when you know we'd, we'd all worked, or several of us, Dave and I, particular in particular, uh, worked for, you know, in Washington, D.C., and that's a place that people can get uh, pretty feeling pretty self-important pretty quickly, and that's a dangerous path to go down in, the, in, any, uh, in any case. We're going monkey wrenching, we're going monkey wrenching, we're going monkey wrenching all over this land. We're going monkey ranching, we're going monkey ranching, we're going monkey ranching all over this land. Okay, this last verse now. This is real serious. You're listening to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. Today we're looking back at the early history of the music associated with US radical environmental network Earth First. Humour in Earth First Music was even evident in the movement's darkest times during the 1980s and 1990s. Daryl Cherney and Mike Rozelle wrote a song called He Looked a Whole Lot Like Jesus. This satirised traditional religious music and sentiments in the process of detailing the infiltration and entrapment of Earth First members in Arizona by a long-haired undercover FBI agent. Despite its humour, it also served as a warning to other Earth Firsters not to judge a book by its cover. Cherney and fellow musician and Earth First organiser Judy Barry were regularly threatened during the period. This came as a result of their environmental, union and pro-choice organising. A bomb planted in their car exploded on May 24, 1990, injuring the pair and almost costing Barry her life. To compound the injury, the activists were then falsely charged with transporting the weapon. Although later exonerated and subsequently awarded $4.4 million in compensation from the FBI and Oakland City Council... The authorities' admission of fault did not come until after Barry's death from cancer in 1997. Although some songs addressing the events took a sombre tone, others, such as The FBI Stole My Fiddle, sung by Barry and co-written with Cherney, poked fun at their persecutors and demonstrated an unwillingness to lay down the fight. Well, I was driving out of Oakland on a tour for Redwood Summer When a bomb went off inside my car, it was a major bummer they blame me for the bomb that almost took my life. But there's one last thing that they did, one last twist of the knife. The FBI stole my fiddle. They stole my fiddle. The FBI stole my fiddle. The FBI stole this is a sing along. The FBI stole my fiddle. And I want my fiddle back. Bart Kohler also documented seminal events in Earth First's history and wrote songs to promote and accompany actions and campaigns. Stand in front of that dozer chronicled Earth First's first ever blockade, 
which occurred at Salt Creek in 1983. That's one of my favourites, although it, it doesn't get played very often, and, and uh, it's got some pretty complex words, as I recall. But it's basically the, the story of shortly after the Kraken Glen Canyon Dam, there was a uh, an attempt by um, some developers to bulldoze a road right across a wilderness study area that was managed by the Bureau of Land Management in New Mexico. And they figured, well, it's just this little, you know, this little piece out there. Nobody's going to notice. And um, I was out somewhere else, but as it turned out, the first guys, you know, Dave and Howie, Howie Walk got a call, you know, were alerted to this, and next thing you know, they, they, drive, they, they drive on down and, you know, set up a tent in the middle of the targeted right-of-way and put an American flag and a don't-tread-on-me flag um, behind the tent and just said no. The developers and the bulldozer guys backed off. I may have gotten a little more um, picturesque or um, grandiose as far as the, the whole action, and, and but, I was, but I was trying to describe what it was like to, to stand in front of that dozer and, and uh, put yourself on the line. John Seed was in that action on, on uh, the Franklin River. That was pretty much the inspiration for uh, Never Take Those Trees Away. And then as it turned out, after writing that song, I ended up going up to, you know, help help folks protect the Tongass National Forest, which has, you know, an amazing ancient spruce and, and uh, hemlock trees. And it, it became kind of a, an anthem for kind of a marching song into the battle for the Tongass. Um, and then, then there's another one where uh, I think it's on the first album. It's, it's called um, Long Live the Wildlands. And that was based on a, an event where Howie basically got himself caught pulling up uh, survey stakes. He was he had got caught, and this guy, this oil field worker, brought him in. And Howie uh, went to the you know had to go before the judge, and the judge asked you know was hoping that Howie would be very regretful that he had committed you know pulling up a hundred you know thousands of dollars worth of survey equipment and such and. And instead of uh, the judge hearing how he say, I don't know, I won't ever do it again, judge, I, please forgive me, I, I beg the mercy of the court, how he just said, you know, essentially, you know, he basically said, I, I'd do it right, you know, right away. I'd do it again right away, judge. So you better put me away and put me away fast or else you send me out, I'm going for it. Looking at my jail cell Looking at this land Turned 34 in jail today Because I made a stand I tried to stop the drilling Tried to right that wrong Tried to stop the killing of this land that's why I sing this song. Earthfest musicians also drew inspiration from nature in more general terms. 
those within the movement of a spiritual bent, were often referred to as the Wu faction and sometimes were kitted for their beliefs. However, almost all the musicians associated with Earth First drew on and wrote of their connection to nature. Georgia-raised and California-based musician Joanne Rand recalls how her music was inspired by her experiences in the Redwoods and how Earth First music served as a call to action regardless of its specific lyrical content. And I moved um, in my early 20s to a piece of land in the remote wilderness. You had to canoe and hike a mile in. And it was in on the Smith River in Northern California. And I started writing songs there that were just inspired by the land and my connection with it. I had never heard of deep ecology or any of that. It just came right out of me. You know, I have saw the ancient forest, the, the big redwood logs being carted away on trucks. This was in the 80s. And I just had a visceral reaction to it and started writing these songs about it. And it was like watching, you know, uh, Holocaust. I was a very shy person, but my the strength of my feelings about what was happening took precedence over my worrying about if I was good enough as a musician. So I just jumped out there and started singing the songs. People responded to them. And then shortly thereafter, we kind of hooked up with Earth First. Lone Wolf Circles is the one who suggested I go down there, me and my first husband, and play. And it felt like I'd found a tribe of people that felt the same way I did. It was like an amazing time. I met a woman there at that rendezvous, Mavis Mueller, who was doing the slideshow about the oil spill. And we had just come back from being up in Alaska, in the Prince William Sound, right before the oil spill, we'd been um, out there, out on the water, and seen schools of hundreds of sea otters, and so that oil spill really had a huge emotional effect on me, knowing what it was like up there beforehand, and so I asked her to go on this tour with me, and um, that kind of launched my touring career, because I was just, it was like a magic carpet ride. I mean, it just like hundreds of people would show up. We, it was a 32-show tour from the Canadian border to the Mexican border, and every show was packed. They'd never heard of me, but there wasn't a lot of that happening then. You know, there were not a lot of singer-songwriters out there, and especially writing about that kind of thing. It was exciting, very exciting. It was wonderful, and especially staying with the people who promoted the shows and meeting them, and it was like pollinating you know, you're gathering ideas and sharing them the next place. I feel like a cheerleader, you know, like rallying people to shake off the chains and fight for what's right or, or to stand up for what's right. I've always felt like the music was a key to people's hearts, and you could sneak in to people's, you could thaw out people's hearts with music in ways that it's hard to otherwise. You'd be marching and, and leading people, having everybody sing. I know that some of the other musicians would, you know, typically write protest songs around specific issues and um, lead rallies with those songs. There are songs that people all knew, and they were by the artists, by the different artists. I mean, there would be like, you know, and they'd want to sing those songs together around the campfire or whatever. I remember going 
that was up in eastern Oregon, and there was this encampment. You know, these kids had basically built a fortress in the middle of this logging site up in the old growth and had lived there for several months. Both Dana Lyons and I wound up coincidentally showing up on the same night and singing for these kids. And it it was sort of like the lifeblood, you know. It was just uh, the music embodied the spirit of the reason that they were doing it. Yeah, I mean, the songs that I wrote that people vibed with were songs about deep emotions, outrage, and about choosing sides. So, I mean, I think it's an altered state, too. I mean, the music puts you in an altered state. It unifies people, and it it gives them a galvanized, larger-than-life strength. Choosing sides is about, I mean, I guess I've just always felt like I am the earth, that I am these wild creatures, and that guttural, raw passion of a fierce sense of loyalty to wildness. Down to the wire, fight or flight They try to tell me might is right But there's no place left to run and hide And I ain't going down without a fight I am choosing sides My side is the mountainside My side is the rocks in the My side is decay and rebirth So much destruction our eyes can see It's down to the split with humanity We've been running out of time And the chasm is blowing deep and wide Let's be choosing sides Our side is the wild side Our side is the Our side is the wild side I'll shout it from the mountain peaks I'll scream it in the city streets I'll blaze it in blood across my chest I am human, I am human, yes But the choosing sides I'm choosing sides Hate to be choosing, 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 choosing. Man, I wish I didn't have to be choosing, 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 You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Ian McIntyre. If you missed any of today's show or you'd like to find out more regarding the musicians it's covered, you can follow the link to our podcast at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Or if you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, why not rate us and leave a review? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters.